Scrooge closed the window and examined the door by which the ghost had entered. It was double locked, as he had locked it with his own hands, and the bolts were undisturbed. He tried to say humbug, but stopped at the first syllable. And being from the emotion he had undergone or the fatigues of the day, or his glimpse of the invisible world or the dull conversation of the ghost, or the lateness of the hour, much in need of repose, went straight to bed without undressing and fell asleep on the instant. Stave two, the first of the three spirits. When Scrooge awoke, it was so dark that looking out of bed, he could scarcely distinguish the transparent window from the opaque walls of his chamber. He was endeavoring to pierce the darkness with his ferret eyes when the chimes of a neighboring church struck the four quarters. So he listened for the hour. To his great astonishment, the heavy bell went from six to seven and from seven to eight and regularly up to twelve, then stopped. Twelve. It was past two when he went to bed. The clock was wrong. An icicle must have got into the works. Twelve. He touched the spring of his repeater to correct this most preposterous clock. Its rapid little pulse beat twelve and stopped. Why, it isn't possible, said Scrooge, that I can have slept through a whole day and far into another night. It isn't possible that anything happened to the sun, and this is twelve at noon. The idea being an alarming one, he scrambled out of bed and groped his way to the window. He was obliged to rub the frost off with the sleeve of his dressing gown before he could see anything, and could see very little then. All he could make out was that it was still very foggy and extremely cold, and that there was no noise of people running to and fro and making a great stir, as there unquestionably would have been if night had beaten off day and taken possession of the world. This was a great relief because, three days after sight of this first exchange, pay to Mr. Ebenezer for his order and so forth, would have become a mere United States security if there was no days to count by. Scrooge went to bed again, and thought, and thought, and thought it over, and could make nothing of it. The more he thought, the more perplexed he was, and the more he endeavored not to think, the more he thought. Marley's ghost bothered him exceedingly, every time he resolved within himself, after mature inquiry, that it was all a dream. His mind flew back again, like a strong spring released to its first position, and presented the same problem to be worked all through. Was it a dream or not? Scrooge lay in this state until the chime had gone three quarters and more, when he remembered on a sudden that the ghost had warned him of a visitation when the bell tolled one. He resolved to lie awake until the hour was past, and considering that he 
could no more go to sleep than go to heaven. This was perhaps the wisest resolution in his power. The quarter was so long that he was more than once convinced that he must have sunk into a doze unconsciously and missed the clock. At length, it broke upon his listening ear. Dong. Quarter past, said Scrooge, counting. Ding dong. Half past, said Scrooge. Ding dong. A quarter to it, said Scrooge. Ding dong. The hour itself, said Scrooge triumphantly, and nothing else. He spoke before the hour bell sounded, which it now did with a deep, dull, hollow, melancholy one. Lights flashed up in the room upon the instant, and the curtains of his bed were drawn. The curtains of his bed were drawn aside, I tell you, by a hand. Not the curtains at his feet, nor the curtains at his back, but those to which his face was addressed. The curtains of his bed were drawn aside, and Scrooge, starting up into a half-recumbent attitude, found himself face to face with the unearthly visitor who drew them, as close to it as I am now to you, and I am standing in spirit at your elbow. It was a strange figure, like a child, yet not so like a child as like an old man, viewed through some supernatural medium, which gave him the appearance of having receded from view and being diminished to a child's proportions. Its hair, which hung about its neck and down its back, was white, as if with age, and yet the face had not a wrinkle in it, and the tenderest blue was on its skin. The arms were very long and muscular, the hands the same, as if its hold were of uncommon strength. Its legs and feet, most delicately formed, were like those upper members, bare. It wore a tunic of the purest white, and round its waist was bound a lustrous belt, the sheen of which was beautiful. It held a branch of fresh green holly in its hand, and in singular contradiction to that wintry emblem, had its dress trimmed with summer flowers. But the strangest thing about it was that from the crown of its head there sprung a bright, clear jet of light by which all this was visible, and which was doubtless the occasion of its using in its duller moments a great extinguisher for a cap which it now held under its arm. Even this, though, when Scrooge looked at it with increasing steadiness, was not its strangest quality. For as its belt sparkled and glittered, now in one part and now in another, and what was light one instant at another time was dark, so the figure itself fluctuated in its distinctness, being now a thing with one arm, now with one leg, now with twenty legs, now a pair of legs without a head, now a head without a body, of which dissolving parts no outline would be visible in the dense gloom wherein they melted away. And in the very wonder of this, it would be itself again, distinct and clear as ever. Are you the spirit, sir, whose coming was foretold to me? asked Scrooge. I am. The voice was soft and gentle, singularly low, 
as if, instead of being close beside him, it were at a distance. Who and what are you? Scrooge demanded. I am the ghost of Christmas past. Long past, inquired Scrooge, observant of its dwarfish nature. No, your past. Perhaps Scrooge could not have told anybody why, if anybody could have asked him. But he had a special desire to see the spirit in his cap and begged him to be covered. What? exclaimed the ghost. Would you so soon put out with worldly hands the light I give? Is it not enough that you are one of those whose passions made this cap and forced me through whole trains of years to wear it low upon my brow? Scrooge reverently disclaimed all intention of offending or any knowledge of having willfully vomited the spirit at any period of his life. He then made bold to inquire what business brought him there. Your welfare, said the ghost. Scrooge expressed himself as much obliged, but could not help thinking that a night of unbroken rest would have been more conducive to that end. The spirit must have heard him thinking, for it said immediately, Your reclamation, then. Take heed. It put out its strong hand as it spoke, and clasped him gently by the arm. Rise and walk with me. It would have been in vain for Scrooge to plead that the weather and the hour were not adapted to pedestrian purposes, that his bed was warm and the thermometer a long way below freezing, that he was clad but lightly in his slippers, dressing gown, and nightcap, and that he had a cold upon him at that time. The grasp, though gentle as a woman's hand, was not to be resisted. He rose, but finding that the spirit made toward the window, clasped its robe in supplication. I am a mortal, Scrooge remonstrated, and liable to fall. Bear but a touch of my hand there, said the spirit, laying it upon his heart, and you shall be upheld in more than this. As the words were spoken, they passed through the wall and stood upon an open country road with fields on either hand. The city had vanished entirely. Not a vestige of it was to be seen. The darkness and the mist had vanished with it, for it was a clear, cold winter day and snow upon the ground. Good heaven, said Scrooge, clasping his hands together as he looked about him. I was bred in this place. I was a boy here. The spirit gazed upon him mildly. His gentle touch, though it had been light and instantaneous, appeared still present to the old man's sense of feeling. He was conscious of a thousand odors floating in the air, each one connected with a thousand thoughts and hopes and joys and cares long, long forgotten. Your lip is trembling, said the ghost. And what is that upon your cheek? Scrooge muttered, with an unusual catch in his voice, that it was a pimple, and begged the ghost to lead him where he would. You recollect the way? inquired the spirit. Remember it, cried Scrooge with fervor. I can walk it blindfold. Strange to have forgotten it for so many years, observed the ghost. Let us go on. 
They walked along the road. Scrooge. Scrooge recognizing every gate and post and tree until a little market town appeared in the distance with its bridge, its church, and winding river. Some shaggy ponies now were seen trotting toward them with boys upon their backs who called to other boys in country gigs and carts driven by farmers. All these boys were in great spirits and shouted to each other until the broad fields were so full of merry music that the crisp laugh, the crisp air laughed to hear these are but shadows of the things that have been, said the ghost. They have no consciousness of us. The jocund travelers came on, and as they came, Scrooge knew and named them every one. Why was he rejoiced beyond all bounds to see them? Why did his cold eye glisten and his heart leap up as they went past? Why was he filled with gladness? when he heard them give each other Merry Christmas as they parted at cross roads and byways for their several homes. What was Merry Christmas to Scrooge? Out upon Merry Christmas. What good had it ever done to him? The school is not quite deserted, said the ghost. A solitary child neglected by his friends is left there still. Scrooge said that he knew it, and he sobbed. They left the high road by a well-remembered lane and soon approached a mansion of dull red brick with a little weathercock surmounted copula on the roof and a bell hanging in it. It was a large house, but one of broken fortunes, for the spacious offices were little used. Their walls were damp and mossy, their windows broken, and their gates decayed. Fowls clucked and strutted in stables, and the coach horses and sheds were overrun with grass. Nor was it more retentive of its ancient state within. For entering the dreary hall and glancing through the open doors of many rooms, they found them poorly furnished, cold, and vast. There was an earthly savor in the air, a chilly bareness in the place, which associated itself somehow with too much getting up by candlelight and not enough to eat. As they went, the ghost and Scrooge across the hall <clears throat> to a door at the back of the house. It opened before them and closed and disclosed a long, bare, melancholy room, made barer still by lines of plain deal forms and desks. At one of these, a lonely boy was reading near a feeble fire, and Scrooge sat down upon a form and wept to see his poor forgotten self as he had used to be. Not a latent echo in the house, not a squeak and scuffle from the mice behind the paneling, not a drip from the half-thawed water spout in the dull yard behind, not a sigh among the leafless boughs of one despondent poplar, not the idle swinging of an empty storehouse door. No, not a clicking in the fire, but fell upon the heart of Scrooge with softening influence and gave a freer passage to his tears. The spirit touched him on the arm and pointed to his younger self, intent upon his reading. 
Suddenly, a man in foreign garments, wonderfully real and distinct to look out, stood outside the window with an axe stuck in his belt and leading by the bridle an ass laden with wood. Why, it's Ali Baba, Scrooge exclaimed in ecstasy. It's dear old honest Ali Baba. Yes, yes, I know. One Christmas time, when yonder solitary child was left here all alone, he did come for the first time, just like that. Poor boy. And Valentine, said Scrooge, and his wild brother Orson. There they go. And what's his name, who, who was put down in his drawers asleep at the gate of Damascus? Don't you see him? And the sultan's groom turned upside down by the janey. There he is upon his head. Serve him right. I'm glad of it. What business had he to be married to the princess? To hear Scrooge expending all the earnestness of his nature on such subjects in a most extraordinary voice between laughing and crying and to see his heightened and excited face would have been a surprise to his business friends in the city indeed. There's the parrot, cried Scrooge, green body and yellow tail, with a thing like a lettuce growing out of the top of his head. There he is. Poor Robin Crusoe, he called him, when he came home again after sailing round the island. Poor Robinson Crusoe. Where have you been, Robinson Crusoe? The man thought he was dreaming, but he wasn't. It was the parrot, you know. There goes Friday, running for his life to the little creek. Hello, whoop, hello. Then with a rapidity of transition, very foreign to his usual character, he said in pity for his former self, poor boy, and cried again. I wish, Scrooge muttered, putting his hand in his pocket and looking about him after drying his eyes with this cuff, but it's too late now. What is the matter? asked the spirit. Nothing, said Scrooge, nothing. There was a boy singing a Christmas carol at my door last night. I should like to have given him something, that's all. The ghost smiled thoughtfully and waved its hand, saying as it did so, let us see another Christmas. Scrooge's former self grew larger at the words, and the room became a little darker and more dirty. The panels shrunk, the windows cracked, fragments of plaster fell out of the ceiling, and the naked lathes were shown instead. But how all this was brought about, Scrooge knew, knew no more than you do. He only knew that it was quite correct, that everything had happened so, that there he was alone again, when all the other boys had gone home for the jolly holidays. He was not reading now, but walking up and down despairingly. Scrooge looked at the ghost and with a mournful shaking of his head, glanced anxiously toward the door. It opened and a little girl, much younger than the boy, came darting in and putting her arms about his neck and often kissing him, addressed him as her dear, dear brother. I've come to bring you home, dear brother, said the child clapping her tiny hands and bending down to laugh. To bring you home, home, home. Home, little fan, returned the boy. Yes, said the child, brimful of glee. Home for good and all, home forever and ever. Father is so much kinder than he used to be that home is like heaven. He spoke so gently to me one dear night when I was going to bed that I was not afraid to ask him once more if you might come home. And he said, yes, you should, and sent me in a coach to bring you. And you're to be a man, said the child, 
opening her eyes, and are never to come back here, but first we're to be together all the Christmas long and have the merriest time in all the world. You are quite a woman, little fan, exclaimed the boy. She clapped her hands and laughed and tried to touch his head, but being too little, laughed again and stood on tiptoe to embrace him. Then she began to drag him in her childish eagerness toward the door, and he, nothing loath to go, accompanied her. A terrible voice in the hall cried, Bring down Master Scrooge's box there! And in the hall appeared the schoolmaster himself, who glared on Master Scrooge with a ferocious condescension, and threw him into a dreadful state of mind by shaking hands with him. He then conveyed his and his sister into the veriest old well of a shivering best parlor that ever was seen, where the maps upon the wall and the celestial and terrestrial globes in the windows were waxy with cold. Here he produced a decanter of curiously light wine and a block of curiously heavy cake and administered installments of these dainties to the young people, at the same time sending out a meager servant to offer a glass of something to the postboy, who answered that he thanked the gentleman, but if it was the same tap as he had tasted before, he had rather not. Master Scrooge's trunk being by this time tied on the top of the chase, the children bade the schoolmaster goodbye, right willingly, and getting into it, drove gaily down the garden sweep, the quick wheels dashing the hoar-frost and snow from off the dark leaves of the evergreens, like spray. Always a delicate creature, whom a breath might have withered, said the ghost. But she had a large heart. So she had, cried Scrooge. You're right. I will not gainsay it, spirit. God forbid. She died a woman, said the ghost, and had, as I think, children. One child, Scrooge returned. True, said the ghost. Your nephew. Scrooge seemed uneasy in his mind and answered briefly, yes. Although they had but that moment left the school behind them, they were now in the busy thoroughfares of a city where shadowy passengers passed and repassed, where shadowy carts and coaches battled for the way, and all the strife and tumult of a real city were. It was plain enough by the dressing of the shops that here too it was Christmas time again, but it was evening, and the streets were lighted up. Read the next chapter, read the next chapter, read the next chapter.